All right, we're back with another episode of the podcast and I've got George Morano with me. George, good to be with you. Yeah, thanks, Peter. What's your favorite vacuum cleaner? Uh, the one that's not used by me. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. There's a reason to this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I mean, you know, for the price, it has to be Dyson, right? So Interesting you say that because that's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about today. We're exploring Dyson. We're having a look at the founder. It's part of a series and it's part of something new that we're doing this year. We're focusing on founders, their story, um, and founders that we can relate to through their products. Last episode, we spoke about Jeff Bezos and yeah, Amazon, yeah. and today we're talking about James Dyson. Well, what have you learned from the Dyson story? Or sort of what starts off uh, being apparent to you before we dig into the actual Dyson journey? Yeah, there's a, there's a natural curiosity to James Dyson, and you can see that. In his uh, in his upbringing, you know his schooling, you know his um, his aptitude for engineering and art and so forth. And and if you see, you know him at, at, at a younger age, he goes to uh, design schools, he goes to school of arts and so forth. But you know people like James Dyson, I like to refer to as a twenty year overnight success, right? Mm. So he has a history, literally. Yeah, he is right. Yeah. So he's got that history where. You know, he he invented that that sea truck yep. first of all, and then um, he made that uh, ball wheelbarrow, mm. right? Yep. So so he already had he had something in him, right? And you know, he went away, uh, and it was a, a design fault in traditional vacuum cleaners with a bag, and how and then you know using that using his engineering background and that that curiosity, you know, that kind of led him to it, right? We all know what Dyson is, how successful Dyson is as a business. We're not going to go into that, but we're going to talk about yeah. the journey. And a big element of his journey is failure yeah. uh, because after he walked away from the wheelbarrow business, um, he went out on his own and it took him 14 years to crack the yeah. Dyson vacuum cleaner business. And failure is a word that we look at differently in different cultures, yeah, right? Failure, business failure in Australia is viewed very differently to business failure in the UK or in the US. Yeah. Let's dig on that uh, and let's explore failure. 14 years, not many people can cope. 14 years of trial and error and failure before cracking it. But what's your perspective on that and what does your work show around the concept of dealing and coping with failure and not giving up? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, in failure in different contexts mean different things. Uh, in Australia, you know, like say for instance, in bankruptcy in Australia, it's it's like this black stain across your name, uh, as opposed to America, where it's like kind of a badge of honour. Right? You know, what why do we why do we why do we have failure? Well, it's whatever you're offering the market, the market doesn't want, mm. right? So um, you really need to you need to look at failure as almost like experimentation. Yep. Right? So looking at it from that, but it's a but you know, we talk about failure on paper, one dimensionally, but it is a, a very emotional process. And it depends on, you know, the individual, their capacity to take on risk. It's person, bloody hard, right? Yeah. Like like to, to cop it. Yeah. And to keep going. Yeah, of course. And to not give up. We fourteen years. I mean, a year is hard. Yeah. Right. How many people would actually keep going after three failures? Well, I mean, and that's and that, and we're looking at it. You know, you know, you're looking at it individually. You could just imagine 
the individuals around him saying, you know, is, is this really working? Mm. You know, one year, two years, five years, ten years, you know, but you, you've really got to take your hat off to people like that, especially with regards to their persistence, right? Because, I mean, yeah, people have, you know, many people fail and they fail and, and then they go back and question themselves. What if I gave it a little bit more? What if I gave it a little bit more? Sure. But the people like James Ison, they just keep going at it, at it and at it. And you need to have a, a real strong sense of will, you know? How is failure different to experimentation? Well, yeah, that's a – well, a failure is, is you know, is um, catastrophic, right? Mm. Things fall over, whereas experimentation is more designed where you fail small, you fail fast. You're expected to fail. fail. Yeah, right? and, you want to, and you learn from it as well, right? So you're, you're ideally – what you're doing is you're experimenting and you're trying to decrease the amount of uncertainty there is in whatever it is that you're doing. And that's what, that's what we do actually in, in science and in academia and so forth. Um, hypothesis testing and observation, right? Yeah. So for me, it's really important to frame, you know, frame it as uh, experimentation uh, to be very mindful that yeah. in business you need to go through an experimentation phase. Oh, absolutely. Particularly at the beginning. Yeah. And if you don't continue to experiment, you die, right? Yeah, that's true. And failure is the you are expected to fail. You are not expected to succeed in an experimentation process, right? Yeah, look, and the experimentation, the experimentation process has to happen constantly. You're right about that. And the reason for that is because in our our external environment is always changing. Mm. So you need to you need to start, you need to experiment with what's going on. And that's the only real way of, of finding that out, right? You know, finding the information, you know, bringing it back into your organisation and then kind of testing it in the market, right? Using that test and then taking the, 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 the data and the findings from that and then redoing that over and over again. Okay, persistence because you can continue to experiment and you, can, you could also argue that you can yeah. fall into a trap where you yeah. blame experimentation yeah. for not working out. Oh, I'm experimenting. You know, I'm not meant to win, but that persistence and then turning it into an innovative process, what does that look like? Well, it's, first of all, you've got to be careful of the naysayers, yeah? Mm. You know, persistence is really key. You need mm. to be driven, right? Um, you need to, ex you know, shut out the external noise from the outside, especially from those around you, you know? You know, you, you have, to, have to have a strong sense of will and be mindful that, you know, results, res the, the, the time it takes to get results is unknown, right? Mm. Uh, I like to, I like to uh, the, the, the train of thought that I have is, is that, um, you know, when I, started, when I started my business, I said, well, when am I going to get my first client? I said, oh, within the first year. You know, I was predicting the first year, but my expectation was at least two years. Yeah. You know, so I always double. My yes. expectations and yeah you know, i need to you know i need you know this is not the worst case scenario but you know a realistic case scenario and 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 prepare yourself mentally for it i think dyson's an amazing guy because when he when he went out on his own second time round in his 40s you know he starts to work on the vacuum cleaner and he knows that he can't go into production so yeah. he starts licensing the concept out yeah and he just keeps getting screwed uh, one after another, yeah. the Japanese screw him. He goes to Vax and they lead him on and he has to go to court and it's just 
it it is a, a, an unbelievable triumph over adversity yeah. that's not 2000 years ago you know that's not some roman or or obscure ancient fable it is a real life example and you can walk into today and see that product and many of it have in our homes yeah um and and it's all built around that innovative process. And I know you do a lot of work around innovation. What does that innovative process have to look like for you to have that persistence? Well, you, you know, that goes back. Innovation, basically. I mean, there's a, there's, a, you know, there's a fine line between innovation and product development. What is it? Well, you know, innovation is taking two or more processes from what's, whatever's being done, brought together for something revolutionary. Yep. You know, it, you know in some senses, the Dyson, the Dyson vacuum cleaner is... A, a rev, you know, is revolutionary in the sense that we moved away from using a bag, you know, and then he's got this particular process yeah. that he's developed. So you reckon it's not innovative? It's innovative in its in in the way that it tackles, uh, in the way that it actually captures and stores the dirt. Yeah, right? in a but barrel as opposed a, to a bag. Yeah, yeah, in a barrel as opposed to a bag. That is that is kind of like a form of micro innovation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but the, the the vacuum cleaner still exists. He, all he's done is he's just kind of made it function better mm. now. So I mean, it's it's questionable, but it is innovative in some sense, right? I mean, he's an engineer. Who's, yeah. Who's who's an artist? Yeah. Right. But he doesn't over-engineer what people want from a no, domestic no. vacuum cleaner. Yeah. He gives them something better than than the existing, which yeah. was an annoying vacuum cleaner where you have to go out and buy bags. Yeah, yeah. So he takes the bag out. Yeah. But then he improves it in certain areas that matter, yeah, and not in areas that don't, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a pain, kind of, the, you know, the 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 quality of suction goes goes down, yeah, especially as the bag gets full, uh, and then the, the the emptying out process and so forth. So, I mean, he's you know he's done extremely well in that. Yeah, you know, he hasn't had to do much. He's done he's done a lot. Mm. Not much in so, the overall scheme of well, things. Simplicity is the ultimate yeah. sophistication, right? Yeah, you, do, you do the things that matter well and that is what makes a difference rather yeah. than getting caught in things that you can you know, innovate on but yeah. don't matter to the average household that's, yeah. that's, that's sweeping up dog hair. Yeah, and look, at, you know, I just want to add something else in regards to that. You know, innovation has an older brother. It's called commercialization. Mm. And we always talk about innovation but not actually – the, the commercialization aspect of it. Now you can you can innovate yep. till the cows come home, right? But however, is there a market for it? Well, this brings up the next point for me: the difference between design, commercial design, yeah, and engineering, yeah. Because I can over-engineer or under-engineer, yeah. or I can design and listen to the market, yeah, and then use that feedback loop to continue to improve my product. Yeah, and that's really, you know, that's it's an interesting point you've raised and something that I've gone through, especially when you're talking to people such as software developers and so forth, you know, where you ask them for a Toyota Corolla and they try to give you a Ferrari, mm. you know. So, you know, you have to have that, you, you, you have to be able to have that ability to understand engineering but also the commercial aspects as well, right, you know, um, because sometimes what you're offering is you know, third or fourth generation ahead of what's already out there. Yes. And in, those, in in these instances, what you need to do is do, you know, catch up. 
you know, you look at you look at um, you look at the Dyson vacuum cleaner. You know, the first generation of vacuum cleaners was that bag vacuum cleaner. The second generation was yeah. his bagless one, and then it then it sort of evolved over time. It's right? still a stick. Yeah, it's still a broom. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. You take broom, and then you take generate first generation vacuum cleaner. Yeah. And you look at that, you know, evolution. It's yeah. in micro steps, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then over time, that persistent innovation yeah. sees the difference between a a, a Dyson today yeah. and that clunky Hoover thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you, you also need to have the commercial smarts to understand, right? Is is that you need to take a minimum viable product, right, to the market, the bare minimum. Right? Yeah. And then, and then from it, and then, in you know, for your own. For your own commercial well-being, have you know multiple iterations of it over time, and they and they usually come as you go as you set up an R and D facility, and as you get feedback from the market and so forth, and then you come back with multiple products, and you can see now, uh, you know, a Dyson has one of those automated vacuum thingies, right? So, but that, that couldn't have happened unless the first part. Yeah, if you have a look at this. And compare it to the first generation from, iPhone, yeah. for example, or, or even from a BlackBerry, even right? from a BlackBerry yeah. or a Nokia or so on. Yeah. Uh, that process is done, you know, gradually over time. But that excellence in design and that engineering background helps you continue to do that because otherwise you turn out like a BlackBerry. Yeah, absolutely. Where they stopped and they got killed. Yeah, yeah. You know, BlackBerry, Nokia. You know, the list goes on and on and on, right? And how important it is. You know, to stay what I like to call, you, you know, I, I, I use this term called measured paranoia, mm. right? Where you're always, always wondering what's happening out there. That's a pretty cool way. Yeah, yeah. So paranoia. you've got, yeah. It's, so you, you're not, you're not paranoid in front of mind, but you're paranoid at the back of mind. You know, you always got, you're always wondering or worrying slightly what's out there, what's new, what could, what could affect my business model, what should I be changing, you know. And if you're not changing, then that's your biggest problem. Mm. Okay, change. Uh, he's in a business. For those of you that don't know the Dyson story, um, you know he's in a business that he he founds he, he founds the wheelbarrow business. Yeah. Late twenties. Yeah. He's in there. It grows, and then he starts to hate it because he's got stakeholders, he's got shareholders, he's got yeah, a yeah. board of directors. He starts to lose control. Yeah. And. An important element of this is when he starts, when he leaves and he starts Dyson, you know, the vacuum cleaning business, he makes a commitment that he's always going to keep control. Yeah. He learned a very painful lesson. How, how common is that in business? Absolutely. I mean, you can I see know you like that topic I'm, a lot. I, I'm, I'm all about autonomy, right? And, you know, one of the things for me is, is that I'm happy to, you know, grip my teeth and bear, you know, the, the pain of, of doing things alone. But however, I know at the end, right, I keep control, I keep autonomy, I keep equity, right? I can I can shape the vision of the organization how I want. I know what to do. I don't have anybody to talk, you know, I don't have anybody dictating to me yeah. what to do and how to do it, right? Do For their own self, you know, I, you know, sorry, I just want, you know, my own self-interest, right? My yeah. self-interest is is that you know I want an organisation that 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 you know lives and breathes my values and those who share those values as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And however, you know, once you get the corporate, 
you know, the, the, the hand of corporate or VC or something like that. Come you, in. you turn it into yeah, like a it's monster it's claw. Like a that's claw, just, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, they come in and, and you know, what, what's, their, what's their motive? Yeah, their motive is for you to success so that they can cash out on it. Sure. They're right? an alliance stakeholder. Yeah, yeah, right. Most of the time. Yeah. And and you don't know whether they're a passive investor or, an, you know, or an active investor, but however that can change, you know, passive investors can change very, very quickly, mm. right? So, and you know what you envision, what you envision, you know, for you know your your company and so forth can you know in a very short space of time be taken over. And if you're like, if you're you know, if you're like you know, Mr. Dyson, yeah, and you've got all these, you've got all these, um, you know, these these corporate partners, they have very deep pockets and they can kind of string you out until they take, they can they can kick you out of your board. And there are plenty of there are plenty of examples out there where founders, you know, over time have been kicked out of their own companies. But don't you think there's a lot more examples? The graveyard of entrepreneurship is so big because people don't grow. You know, you go out and you start a venture and you're on your own. And because you don't have that ecosystem of a founder or yeah. um, advisors or investors helping you out, you end up getting caught in this, which is your own mind. Yeah. And it stops you from growing, don't you? Don't you think that is a greater risk than having people annoying you? Um, it is, but this is where you also need that. You also need to, you know, also need to be able to get external help. Mm. You know, without finding a partner. So you're saying get external, get all the benefits, yeah, of having partners, yeah, but not the baggage of giving them equity or sharing yeah. in that relationship. I mean, you know, it's very easy. You get a, you get a business coach or a consultant or so something. So date, don't marry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's different. That's different, right? Uh, <laughs> but you get a consultant, get a business coach, get, get all the help you can. Yep. But, you know, my, my, my advice to everybody and my own personal philosophy is never give away equity. Mm. Right. Equity is the most expensive. E equity is the most you expensive. You give it, and it's and it's impossible to get back. It's very hard to get it back it's unless you reach a certain scale. Yeah, yeah, right. And equity is the reason why a lot of business um, relationships do go sour. Yeah, absolutely. Because the expectations of each equity holder over time starts to yeah. drift, and it takes a very strong founder to be able to pull that together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, depending on the the kind of legal agreements you have and so forth. But however, you know, it worked for Jeff Bezos. You know, he owns thirteen percent, I think, of of Amazon. But it's still a hundred and something million dollars, right? A hundred and thirty or hundred and forty million dollars stake, right? Billion. Yeah, sorry, billion. Yeah. I think for us, uh, in, in my own example, um, I've been very fortunate to have good business partners yeah. uh, around me. And and if we go back and have a look at the foundation, we did bring on a, a venture capital investor at the beginning. And it forced us to pull our socks up yeah. and set into place a really good governance structure yeah, where yeah. we knew the expectations of each other and everybody knew the expectations of us. So I think if you do go into that relationship, you've got to do it properly. Yeah. The worst thing is partnerships or, or equity relationships where the foundation, yeah. the substance isn't done properly. And look, you know, all, you're correct. But also, if you are starting off, it's actually a really good experience mm. to have partners. That's to have true. Really, you know, I'm talking about this as somebody, you know, I'm 46 who's had multiple partnerships, you know, and, you know, with multiple, with multiple failures, 
So as you get older, yeah, as you get older, you kind of you know what you want, right? You know, you bring you you bring on partners very very reluctantly. You know, what's your final advice? And and I didn't expect to end on this, but we're here, yeah. Uh, and I'd like to draw upon your expertise. What's your advice for someone watching this that is in business with partners? Then they are in a relationship, or they're in a situation where they're not happy. They don't have that good structure. Yeah. They don't want to get out because they still love their business, but they're just not comfortable. You know, someone that's in a bad marriage equivalent business-wise or a marriage that's not going too good. Well, I don't. I really can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drawing the analogy only. Um, I think you just need to be honest with your partners and have that very frank discussion, right? I mean, you know, communication is the key to all this. Yeah. You know, and just say, look, I don't really like the direction of this. Um, you know, and so I have a I have a fear that you know we might be going down a down a path that we might collapse or we might fail. Yeah, right. Or I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. Even if we succeed, I'm yeah. not really happy with. I don't like what what's happening. I, I don't like you know the way we're going about things. And that's really all you can do is have really frank and open, honest discussion. You know, and if and life is short. You know, if you're not happy with something, you know. Go and do it again. Yeah. Right? Life's too short to be in a bad relationship yeah. and particularly in a bad business relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Business is changing every day and every day that you're in is a day that you're not doing something that you love or something that you could be doing better. You know, personally, I like I like a complicated professional life and yeah. a very simple personal life, mm. right? So, you know, yeah, so, you know, just be mindful, right, that, you know, you could, you know, if it gets extremely toxic from a professional perspective, you can eventually bring that home with you. Yeah, bring it home, your friends, your family, it changes yeah. who you are. You yeah, see absolutely. a lot of people that, you know, the toll of a bad business relationship yeah. manifests yeah. in their life overall. And, Guys, you know, and you can always start again. Absolutely, yeah. particularly in a country like Australia, Yeah, right, where the ecosystem is designed to give people a fair go. All right, thanks so much uh, for listening to this episode of the podcast. The book is James Dyson, Against the Odds. You can find it. It is a rare book, so it's not one of those bestsellers. Um, I had a look on Amazon. It's like $560. Yeah, it's $560 on Amazon because you have to go through certain um, you know, niche uh, booksellers okay. to buy it. So don't be freaked out uh, when you jump on and see it on Amazon. There are a lot of, I think you can get it for about 50 bucks uh, from an independent. Uh, there are a few independent bookstores out there. Uh, it's also available on Audible. Okay. You can listen to it uh, as an audio book. Uh, so I'd encourage you guys to get to it. George, thank you very much. Very gracious for your time and I look forward to the next episode. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, guys.